I think it would be safe to say that all of us have some incident, some story, some picture in our mind that has driven home for us how unfair life is. Whether that is a picture like this of the Twin Towers and the day in which New York City was attacked, or it's a, some story, a story of some mass killing, some drunk driver who crossed the center line, some sense in which innocent people have suffered, even been killed. And it's just not right. It's not fair. It's not the way it should be. It makes us confront that unfortunate reality that life isn't fair. And while as parents we almost enjoy saying that to our kids, when we experience it as ourselves, it's very painful. And it's not fun. Because that reality soaks down into our being that there is something wrong about all of this. That bad people should be punished. That injustices should be corrected in some way. I, I, it seems like it's almost in our DNA. Just think of small children. Uh, no one teaches them that, but just from the youngest age, if somebody gets one more cookie than somebody else, there is this indignant cry of unfair. If somebody's half a sandwich is bigger than the other half a sandwich, anything like that, it's just like, that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. And while we learn to deal with the unfairness of life, I think that voice remains in all of us, that somehow life should be fair. It's not something new, this feeling of life should be fair. People in the Bible felt the same way. Here's a very interesting verse from the prophet Jeremiah, and he was writing as the nation of Israel is about to be destroyed and go into captivity, and he's struggling with that fairness of God, the justice that he wants from God. It's an interesting, as he almost comes as a lawyer before God. In verse 1, he says, you are, you are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless lie live at ease? It's interesting how Jeremiah first addresses God, uh, almost to get on his good side, to just remind God, now God, I know you're always just, I know you're always fair every time I come to you, but we need to talk about this. Because Jeremiah is looking at his life, the life around him, and he's saying, I'm not seeing these uh, unjust people being punished. I'm not seeing the faithless uh, pay for their being faithless. Life seems to be working for the bad people. Why is that? Life didn't seem fair 3,000 years ago. And it still discourages us when we see situations in life and they just don't seem right. Which brings us to the final promise that we're looking at in this sermon series. Different promises that God has made to us. Promises that we can hold on to when the ground underneath us is shaking. Because of the different challenges in our world right now. Challenges that come home into our lives. And one of those promises that God has given us is that life is going to be fair. 
Acts 17.31 says, For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. That's his promise. He has set a day, a date, when he will judge the world with justice. By whom? By the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. But notice that promise of God. He has set a date when justice will happen for everyone. For all of the people who have done wrong and have felt like they got away with it. For all of the tragedies that seem so grossly unfair that will be corrected. It hasn't happened yet, but God has said it's coming. And I've set a date, and he knows when it's going to happen. But his promise is that it is coming. And there's another part of that promise of God that I want you to understand when he says that he is going to bring his justice to the world. And that is that God's justice is always fair. No matter how hard we try as humans to have fair and impartial justice, we all know that sometimes it it doesn't happen. Uh, The Innocence Project has shown us numerous cases of people who have been uh, wrongly convicted and have spent sometimes decades of their life in prison. It wasn't fair. And there's people who escape punishment through all kinds of technicalities and legal loopholes where everyone involved says that's wrong, that's not fair, but they get off. Human justice isn't always perfect and fair, but God's is. Paul describes this over in 1 Corinthians 4. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Now there's almost a warning in these words of Paul that our justice isn't going to be exactly right. So just wait. Wait for God's perfect justice. Don't jump ahead because of the quality of God's justice. Because he is going to bring to light everything. There's no evidence that was missed with God. There's nothing that somebody hid and nobody knew about it. God is going to bring everything to light. And the great thing of God's justice is that he knows the heart. We, something we humans cannot do. He knows the intent. He knows the full story. He knows things that others may not have understood. God's got all of that. And that's why we need to wait for his justice, his judgment. If this is indeed God's promise, and this is the kind of justice that he's going to bring us, I want to draw a few points from that, a few lessons for us. The first one is, of course, it means that we have hope. That that sense that life needs to be fair is not a wrong sentiment. That, in fact, it's going to be fair. And all of the injustices are going to be corrected. God is going to set them right. And a trial date has been set. We see that in our human courts all the time. And the the more complicated the case, that trial date may be months out. So that everyone can prepare. 
But just knowing that that trial date is coming, it's going to happen, reassures us that justice is going to come. And God has said, I want to reassure you the trial is coming. Justice is coming. But there is also in this promise of God, there is a warning for us. Because this justice of God will be for every single person. That means we're included too. And that means God's perfect judgment will come upon us as well. So what we do matters. It's not just for those people. The people we can't wait for justice to come upon them. Justice is coming to us and we must face the consequences of our choices, our failures, our words or actions or motives that have been less than we would have liked where we've done wrong. And we too must sit before the throne of God, the judgment seat of God. Revelation tells us he will open his books and look at what we have done. And he will ask us to give account. And the writer of Hebrews says this powerful thing. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And yet we all must face his justice. So there is a warning in that promise, a warning for everyone. But with that warning comes the other important lesson, and that is the importance of Jesus and what he has done for us. Because justice is death for sin. That's justice. And that's what we face. But Paul in Romans 6.23 gives us both sides of this equation. Paul begins by saying the wages of sin is death. This is what it awaits this is the sentence that awaits those who will be called to account for their life if there's sin in it. And we've looked in the past few weeks that we all are there. We all have that sentence coming for us. But the great good news is that Jesus was willing to take that sentence on himself and die for us. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And that is the great good news. But that is also why it is so important that we have Jesus as our Savior. For without that, we alone must face the justice of God. So whoever you are and wherever you're watching from, please ask yourself that question. Is Jesus your Savior? Have you claimed him? Have you made that commitment of your life to him? The justice of God tells us how important it is. But in this whole process, there is one other thing that I want us to understand today when we talk about the justice of God, and that is this. Judgment is not in our job description. We are not called to judge. We are not called to bring justice. That is God's job. Because only he can judge perfectly. Only he is God. He is the one in authority. He is the one with supreme power. We are involved, but we have a different role as Christians. And Paul wants us to understand that. 
It's not that we are not involved, but as we await God's justice and that date that has been set, there is an important part for us. But it is not to repay evil for evil. Notice what Paul says in Romans 12, and if you have your Bible, turn there because we're going to look at several verses. First of all, in verse 17 of Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I think there's a warning there from Paul that as we must live in this evil time, this time of injustice, the temptation for us is that we respond to evil with evil because it frustrates us so much and we want to bring about justice and we end up responding back in kind. And we see this all the time. We see it as group fights against group, nation against nation, gang against gang. And evil is expressed and done and carried out and people respond with the same evil. And Paul challenges us as Christians that we need to resist that temptation. And even though people do things to us that are hateful or harmful or hurting, we're asked to do what is right, what is good. To respond as Jesus would respond. Go on to verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It's God's job. As it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So God's saying, I'm the one who carries out judgment. That's not your job. On the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If you're like me, I want to be judged. When one of those evils happens, one of those injustices, um, my sense of rightness and correcting wrongs, I want to be the judge right now. And I want to carry out that punishment. But God says, that's my job. That's my job. We're asked to love people. That's our role in this process. As we wait for God's day of justice, we're asked to love people. And what he describes there is just how Jesus lived, isn't it? To feed your enemies. To give drink to those who don't deserve it. To express kindness and forgiveness and grace to the people around us. Because that is Jesus' way. That's how he treated people in this broken, unjust world. And he said, I need you to keep that going. And we would rightfully respond, how can you expect that, Jesus? That's too hard. That's, it's, it's just too much. And I think on our own, that's true. If we want to just, in our own sense of goodness, our own moral strength, respond to bad people with good treatment, with forgiveness, with grace, we're not going to pull it off. But we're not on our own, are we, as Christians? We have God himself dwelling in us. We looked at that. We have Jesus' help. 
to help us do what seems impossible, to help us live like Jesus. Our only way that we can respond with kindness in the face of hatred and good in the face of evil is with the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. And that power is in us if we have the Spirit of God. That has consistently for 2,000 years been one of the most powerful evidences for the reality of the church, and that is how Christians have responded to persecution and hatred. And it has been superhuman. And as, as the nations have watched and populations have watched, they're driven to silence and awe as they see these Christians respond with kindness and graciousness and goodness. And that's why Paul says that's what you need to do. There's only one way that we can change our world. And that's why Jesus came. He will have to judge this world, but his goal was to reach and change this creation and correct what was broken. And hate responding to hate does not improve the world. Evil given to evil does not respond and improve the world. It is when love is given in the face of hate, when goodness is given in the face of evil. That's what changes the world for the better. And that's how Jesus lived, and that was the power of Jesus' life. And he says to us, that is the same power you can have if you will respond in that way. And rise above your human desire to carry out vengeance and justice in your own power. Leave that for God and he will do it perfectly. And there will be no questions of him being unjust or unfair. No arguments. Because he will do it so correctly. You be busy loving. And so Paul says at the end of chapter 12 in verse 21... Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our job. Don't let evil drag us down to its level. Respond with good and raise the people around us. That's our call. God's promise is, I'm going to bring justice. Your sense that fairness is needed is right on, spot on. And I've already set a date on the calendar when I'm going to show up and there's going to be justice. But until that time, just as I asked Jesus to do when he came to earth, now we ask you to do it as our followers, our children. Respond to evil with good. It's the most powerful thing we can do. I always liked classes in school where there was lab. You know, you'd sit in the room and you'd hear the lecture, but then you got to go to the lab and, oh, that was fun. Get stuff out, do stuff, use your hands, create something. Well, this class has a lab. That's the good news. Class is over. We're about to enter the lab and it's out those doors. And I can tell you something in, in full confidence this week, you're going to confront evil. It's out there, and we're all going to confront it. It's so prevalent right now. We're going to see it. And it's going to hit us in the face in some way, shape, or form. And right there is when the lab happens. 
will we listen to Paul's advice? Will we do what Jesus asks? Will we respond to evil with good? It's the hope of the world. It's how people will believe when we tell them about Jesus. We are his confirmation when we give good in return for wrong. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God who wanted to be good to us even when we've done evil. Thank you for Jesus and his death on the cross to take our penalty. But help us, Father. It's so hard to be like Jesus. It's hard to return good for evil, love for hate. So we ask for your help that as we go and enter our week, you would be right there with us, right inside us through your spirit, giving us power and strength to do what seems impossible, to love like Jesus loved. We ask this in his name.